Spread the Fire. Welcome back to SMWX and we continue our conversation with Ukoko Aubrey Machikri. The Sizwe Mbofu Welsh Experience Podcast. Kogo, in our last conversation, you were talking about, or you had just gotten to the point of a new vision for society, that there's great fear at the moment about where politics and society mm. is going, but there's also great hope, and they mm. seem to be existing side by side. And I, I guess to start, part of the work that needs to be done right now is is creating and painting that new vision and averting disasters. And it's mm. not going to happen automatically. It's going to have to happen through hard intellectual work, public work of people imagining where we go from here in a mm. way that averts those catastrophes. Um, do you think that that work has begun and how should we go about that work, which is going to be long and arduous? Mm. Well, in, in the world as I wish it to be, South Africa is not a liberal democracy. The liberal democratic aesthetic is not the dominant logic in our democracy. Now, what that entails is doing the kind of deep thinking about alternatives to the current liberal democratic uh, order. Um, but we are not in the world as I wish it to be. In, in, in the world as I wish it to be, as a transition moment leading towards the world as I wish it to be, um, certain things need to happen. We need to restore the citizens' confidence in the electoral process and therefore the democratic process mm. even in its, in its narrow incarnation um, as a liberal democracy now if you go back to the November 2021 local government elections mm. people bemoan the fact that we had a 48% voter turnout in a way, that misses the point, because the crisis is deeper. The crisis of confidence, mm -hmm. or lack of confidence on the part of the voter is deeper. Only about a third of South Africans who are eligible to vote participated in the November election. Now, people lazily say this is a sign that voters have become apathetic. Whereas voters actually, especially over the past 15 years, have become quite uh, strategic um, in their voting, splitting their vote, for instance, and realizing that not voting is a democratic option through which um, you can pressure the establishment to consider a change in our democratic content. And 
what voters did by staying away to me was therefore not a sign of apathy, but something that should worry us more than if it was evidence of apathy. They have lost confidence in the capacity of the electoral process, in the capacity of elections to deliver fundamental change in their lives. They are therefore losing confidence in the capacity of our democracy, the democratic project, mm. to deliver fundamental change in their lives. For me, that is scary. Because in the absence of an alternative, all manner of impunity, instability, mayhem, and chaos disguised as the alternative to the current order become possible. So the first thing we must do is to restore the confidence of the South African citizen in the electoral process and therefore the democratic project. And one of the ways in which you must do this is to create a movement of citizens for electoral reform. We specifically electoral system reform. Mm. I, I think we must accept that the current electoral system does not serve us insofar as it must deepen the democratic experience of the citizen. And, and what I have been calling for is a mixed system in which, yes, you have uh, let's say members of parliament and legislatures who represent the party and the rest of the seats in our legislatures and parliaments are occupied by people elected directly by the citizen. But we must also look at other ways in which electoral system reform um, can deliver a deeper democratic experience for the citizen. And I say that because if you look at the experience of Germany or Mexico, countries that adopted a mixed system, um, all more or less the same parties and political uh, streams that were dominant at the time of the change remain dominant. And, and, and some of the tendencies uh, that were part of the old order are part of what became the new order. Mm. And, and because no electoral system is perfect, I don't think it will be enough for us just to call for a mixed system. When we think about that mixed system, must also think about how we cure some of the problems that have not disappeared yeah. after a changeover uh, to a new system. So, so, so the first thing we must do then in restoring the confidence of the citizen in the electoral and democratic processes is to create a movement for electoral systems reform. And, and, and hopefully, outside the institutional and formal realm of party politics, 
you will have a civil society um, that will be part of this citizen movement for electoral system reform. So one of the things that has interested me is what are the set of institutions that need to be built in order to navigate to this new future? And of course, many people have spoken about new political parties and that's probably true. But it seems to me that outside of the party political space, there's also a lot of work to be done. If we look at civil society, quote unquote, um, it seems to have been going through something of an identity crisis in the Ramaphosa era, in my view. Mm. And the identity crisis is twofold. On the one hand, there is zero content relating to racial justice. One of, one of our countries, mm. if not the predominant injustice, which continues and perpetuates. So when something like what happened at Stellenbosch University, where there's abject, obvious racism happening, there's no civil society organization that stands up and says this we're going to take this on in the same way that they are for other conservative causes so that's the one crisis and i'm going to say it you won't hear institutions like ksac and and others freedom mm. under law and all of mm. that speaking mm. out uh on questions of racial justice unambiguously mm. they may say it's not their mandate i would say how can you protect a constitution when and the clergy by the way absolutely mm. Quite right, quite right. Churches, uh, religious institutions have, have, have let this issue go. On the one hand, the identity crisis deepened because the content of civil society became about accountability and holding the state accountable. But in the Ramaphosa era, even that has, has been questioned. And so we don't have institutions in, in our country outside the party political space who are going to the courts on these questions, who are holding mm. the government accountable, and I mean the government that's in power right now, not the one that was in power in mm. 2015. The Ramaphosa administration has been let off the hook in many cases. Mm. Racial justice has been let off the hook. So where mm. are these institutions? How do we... I, I'm, I'm, I'm seeing an institution which reinvigorates those battles, mm. that holds mm. the government accountable on one hand, but that keeps the question of racial justice and yeah. other forms of injustice yeah. alive. And yeah. it feels like we haven't built those institutions yet. You're absolutely correct. And the reason civil society has this identity crisis is because a lot of what we call civil society is actually uncivil society, which exists to reinforce the interests of the establishment, whether it is the interests of global and domestic capital or others, but the interests of um, the establishment. Now, I am not surprised that this identity crisis both coincides and is caused by the emergence of Ramaphosa as president of the ANC in the country. We, we must bear in mind, for instance, that the post-apartheid state, as you yourself say in your book, 
is a neo-apartheid state. Um, and, and what you need is a ruling party that will keep the neo-apartheid state intact and a president of that ruling party who will deliver on that agenda. So long before Ramaphosa becomes president of the ANC, the post-apartheid state is captured by forces whose economic interests have become dominant in the global sphere, whose interests must therefore be reinforced and imposed. And to do so, um, you must replicate their interests and their logic in several places in society. The media, bearing in mind that the media is socially constructed, popular culture, the education system, and other spaces in society, particularly our politics. So in a Gramscian sense, you then need to understand that for your interest to, to remain dominant, for the interest, for instance, of global capital mm -hmm. to remain dominant, and the economic interests of a certain race, in the case of South Africa, to remain uh, the dominant reality. Political parties that represent, in this case, whiteness, do not need to be a ruling party in power. All they need is to have a party in power that enjoys the support of the majority of South Africans that will pursue those interests on their behalf. And in the ANC, not only under Ramaphosa, but before, you have a ruling party that is loyal more to the interests of global capital and domestic white capital than the interests of those who are oppressed. And therefore, in a Gramscian sense, those whose, whose economic interests in particular are dominant have achieved that goal. Therefore, what is it that must be retained and maintained? One, the land must remain in white hands. The economy must remain in white hands. And a conception of the rule of law that is tied to, white, to whiteness must be the dominant reality. Now, the alternative to that is a struggle against this dominant reality. Now, this uncivil society exists in part to make sure that the alternative does not emerge. Because the class and the racial content of this uncivil society is such that these elements in this uncivil society benefit from the status quo. Mm. And therefore, this uncivil society play the role of guardians of the status quo. And what they must do, therefore, to go back to where we started, is to act in support of this construct, Cyril Ramaphosa, whose party delivers on the promise 
of making sure that whiteness remains the dominant reality in South Africa. And therefore, the, the interests that were dominant before the end of uh, apartheid remain dominant after the end of apartheid. But because we talk about this as a neo-apartheid um, reality, um, apartheid is still within us. The difference is that you have a party and a president that are allies both to coloniality and neo-apartheid, aided in part by this uncivil society. So which means, if we are not careful, the space civil society should be occupying mm. uh, to create a non-party political a space that is vibrant, that can interact cooperatively with the party political space or in conflict uh, with the party political space, if that does not emerge, the vacuum that is created will be occupied by shady social movements mm. that are quite um, retrogressive in their logic. Um, movements, for instance, that are xenophobic. Mm. Movements, for instance, that are racist, mm. like Afroforum mm. and others. That space is going to be occupied by them. But there's a greater danger in civil society shirking its responsibility. Afroforum decides it's going to deploy people to police our borders. You have Operation Tudula that during their marches, march side by side with the police. Now in both examples, what you have is the possibility of the emergence of dual power. The power of the state and the power of shady or shadowy um, civil society movements which have the potential to take us backward because first of all the content of our discourse about the future of this country will be backward uh, retrogressive racist mm. uh, xenophobic uh, tribalist and so on you know and who benefits from this in the short term are those whose economic interests are still dominant. But they are short-sighted. It does not serve even global and domestic capital to have civil society that is un this uncivil this week. Because beyond the weakness of civil society lies the potential for disorder when there's an attempt to emerge with alternatives um, but there's no leadership for instance there is no thought leadership uh, for instance 
uh, these are not movements that are based on the imperative of putting forward to society ideas on the basis of which you can construct a new society. And it, it worries me, Gogo, uh, to, to, to end off and round off that this idea of a parallel state is actually gaining momentum to the extent that I think after apartheid the view was, look, we don't need the state, it's burdensome anyway. Mm. But we can build a state within a state in which we can coexist and live and defend minority interests. Mm. Mm. And quite frankly, if the state decays around that state, that's, that might actually be useful. Yeah. Um, and, and I watch how <coughs> agendas are pushed through the courts, how government failures are, are being attacked quite rightly, but you build a certain sense of support, you know, by saying, well, people shouldn't have to renew their driver's licenses, mm. which mm. is an mm. Afroforum thing, and mm. <laughs> I tend to agree. But, mm. but you, you then start to usurp the state increasingly. And before we know it, if we're not careful, with private, you know, the, the privatization of space and land and, and all of these interests, we could be living in a, in a state where we can't even transform the entire state because there are now two states that are vying mm. against each other. Mm. Uh, for that transformation and so it seems that civil quote-unquote society in the Ramaphosa era before must also be held accountable mm. for the way it has not only uh, failed to gain accountability in the Ramaphosa era but is sometimes perpetuating a neo-apartheid vision. Well let, let me close um, this way. We, we are creating space for something else. Uh, we are creating room for the state to be efficient in its coercive and oppressive capacity towards the poor, towards black people, towards women. Um, and so if Abakali was some jondal are in the streets, protesting against their conditions of underdevelopment, the coercive and oppressive and punitive capacity of the state is quite impressive. But the same state lacks the capacity to deliver on the basic needs of those citizens who were oppressed during colonialism and apartheid. The same state has developed the capacity to create space for private capital to basically do what it likes. So within the state you have entities that exist to promote the interests of private capital. National Treasury, the Reserve Bank, and other institutions. These are decidedly neo-apartheid institutions whose goal is to reinforce and reimpose the dominant position and interests of private capital. This, by the way, is the reason why 
we had the Zondo Commission. If Jacob Zuma and the Guptas had left National Treasury alone, the Zondo Commission would not have happened. In other words, state capture is not a problem until there's an attempt to capture National Treasury, one of the institutions of whiteness and neo-apartheid in the country. I'm going to leave us on that on that cliffhanger. Thank you so much for all of your time, um, and thank you again for gracing the SMWX audience with your insight. Thomas Akers. The Caesar Mbofu Welsh Experience Podcast. Aye aye aye.